glad you're with us today. I want you to stand to your feet. We're in a series called Down to Earth. And we're going to read our theme verse. This is week two. And this is a verse which talks about the fact that God came down to earth through the Word, or Jesus is the Word. So let's read it together. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. John chapter 1, verse 14. Let's read it together. Come on, let me hear you all the way out there in places like Montreal. Say it with us. Ready? So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Will you close your eyes? Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. We ask you to speak to us right now. Lord, we need... You to speak to us because when we know the truth, the Bible says the truth liberates us. There's some people here today that need to be liberated to get to the next level, liberated to change a mindset. But that happens through your word. And sometimes we're not ready. It's the parable of the sower teaches. So we ask that you would anoint us to hear, to receive. Say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me this morning in Jesus' name. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated today. You know, this verse tells us that God came down to earth. In fact, the phrase down to earth is a phrase you'll hear. Sometimes you'll hear people say, that person is so down to earth. And that phrase means they're humble. They're not pretentious. But the definition I like best is that they just relate to normal people. And what I love is the Christmas story is literally God coming down to earth. It's the incarnation. This is a theological phrase or idea, which means that God wrapped himself in human flesh and he came to earth so that, of course, Christ could then live and eventually die on the cross, rise again and save us from our sins. But the reason he came was so that he could identify, we could identify. We read a moment ago that when he came, the word became flesh, that we beheld or we saw his glory. You see, God wants us to realize that we can relate to him, that we can see his character, his power, his principles lived out in our lives. And so what we've been doing is we've been taking the story of Christmas down to earth, and we've been learning some things that will help us, as we apply these principles in our life, live the way God called us to live. How many want to live up to your potential, your God potential, amen? So today we're going to continue on. Last week we talked about Joseph, and I have to say, if you've not... Um, been able to hear that message, maybe you missed last week, go on our app or go to YouTube, to our channel, Higher Vision Church, and watch last week's message. It's one of the, the, probably my favorite messages I've ever preached on Christmas. We learned about Joseph. And what I want to do is I'm going to continue that story. And last week we learned that Christmas brings righteousness down to earth. The Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. And we learned what that meant. And then we learned that Christmas brings God's mission down to earth. That we all have a mission. We'll see that in a moment. And then we learn that God brings obedience down to earth. And the importance of immediate obedience, not procrastination, right? Because the, the, the way we respond, the quickness, the immediacy of our response to obedience is of the utmost importance. So I want to continue the story. We're going to look now. If you have a Bible, you can go there, your phone, um, grab your YouVersion app. Go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Let me set it up. Mary who was betrothed or engaged to Joseph. It was a year-long engagement, sometimes two years. They didn't sleep together. They were um, in that phase of getting ready to get married. And in that time, an angel visits her and says, you're going to become pregnant by the power of God. 
And that child is going to be the savior of the world. So she goes to Joseph and she tells him, Joseph doesn't believe her. And so he's contemplating about divorcing her, whether he's going to do it publicly or privately. And he's thinking, I'm going to do it privately, which if you, you were in last week's message, you'll learn that that was a very righteous thing to do. So this is where we pick up on the story. As he's contemplating this, or as he's considering this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and what's the next word? That was a little weak. Let's try it again. And who? You, Joseph, are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, what happens, the angel shows up and says, don't be afraid. And we learned last week that he wasn't saying, hey, don't be afraid or freaked out because an angel's here. But it was, don't be afraid because God has a mission for you. In other words, God wants to do something in you and through you that you hadn't planned or even seen. And if you're not careful, you'll be intimidated or afraid of God's mission. But God says, don't be afraid of my mission. And what was that mission for Joseph was that you're to name him Jesus. So I want to give you point number one. I'm going to give you two thoughts today about bringing Christmas down to earth. What does it mean? Point number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Here we go. Christmas brings what? Direction down to earth. Christmas brings direction down to earth. Now, what do you mean by that, Jared? Well, let's talk about it for a minute. What I think this is teaching us, this story, is that Christmas is about stewarding something that God has given you. God had given Joseph a a son named Jesus, and he was to steward that child. He said, you are to name him Jesus. What I believe he was saying was simply this. I don't want you to just be a silent partner. I don't want you just be the stepdad that kind of watches. But I want you to name him Jesus. I want you to take an active role I want you to be a part of stewarding and taking care of what I've placed in your hands. Some of us here, we have kids. God has given those children to you. To steward what he's given you is what Christmas is about. Some of you don't have kids, but you have a, a resources, wealth, income that you're making for your family. What are you doing with what God has given you? Maybe you've got a call or a gift or a talent that God has placed in your life. And again, Christmas is about what are you doing with what God has given you. And for Joseph, we know that he was to go through the circumcision process. Once a child was born, a boy, eight days later, he was circumcised. And here's how it worked. At that circumcision ceremony, he would select the sandit, which is uh, kind of an honored guest, like a godfather, to stand in for him. And that godfather would sit. They would bring the child, the, the father, Joseph, would bring the child and put it in the sandit's hand, the honored guest. And then he would stand next to the child and the moil, which was the, um, the man who came to do the surgery, like a surgeon, someone that specialized in circumcision, he would come and the father then would take the knife, the scalpel, and hand it to the moil. And then the moil would circumcise the child. And when the circumcision was done, the father would pronounce a prayer of blessing over the child and then name the child. The point of that is that he was involved in the process of stewarding what they had been given. He said, I want you to name him. As I begin to think about that, I begin to think about us. And I begin to think about kids. And I thought about the naming process. You know, in our culture today, 
Sometimes people don't put a lot of thought into names. It's like whatever pops into their head, right? Have you ever met a child that you thought, that, that parent wasn't really thinking about it when they named that child? Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like, were they one fry short of a happy meal? I, I'm not kidding you. Sometimes parents will name a child, like I had someone in my school, and this was her name, Candy Barr was her last name right? So I decided to go and find some names of interesting things that parents name their children. These are true stories, true people. Let me show you one. I found this online. If you need an executive, you could always call filet mignon. I mean, like really, could we not have come up with another first name, right? How about this one? Mr. Butt. I hope his name wasn't Harry. Really, Mr. Butt, Butt is his last name. In fact, it was funny because I was talking to someone before service and they said, hey, Pastor Jared, this is, no, this is true. I heard your, your message and you're talking about Mr. Butt and I ran across a guy and his name is Jake Butt. And here's what's funny. He's a tight end for the Denver Broncos. <laughs> Mr. Butt, tight end. Some of you just went right over your head. Here's the funniest part. Because he's a pro athlete, he's sponsored by Charmin. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's a true story. That one really wasn't the parents' fault. Here's another one I found. Ready? If you're hungry, it would be good that your name was McDonald Burger. Or this one was really funny too, and that is his name was Go and Getter. She doesn't seem too happy about that in this picture right here. And then my favorite of all is if you need a lawyer, you need to hire Sue Yu. Last night, someone that was working in the media booth said, Pastor Jared, I work in the law firm with Sue Yu. She really is a lawyer. That's a true story. You know, the point is, is, you know, people will name names and they're funny and everything, you know, but sometimes there's meaning to a name, right? I, I know for my kids, we named them with intention, Macy Michelle Ming. Her middle name is the name of Devette's sister, Michelle. My daughter, Haley, who was leading worship today with, with Pastor April, her name is Haley Lynn Ming. Lynn is the middle name of my um, wife's other sister, Sarah Lynn Richardson or Yancey. My son, Tanner, who was uh, the, on the worship team today, his name is Tanner David Ming. My father-in-law is named David. And my youngest son is Hudson Jared Ming. We had intention. And here's the thing I want to point out is in the Bible, when they would name someone, there was always meaning connected to the name. And as we dive into this concept that Christmas is about bringing direction down to earth, when we look at the naming process, maybe it'll give us some insight into the thing that God has called us to steward. Maybe it's your children. Again, maybe it's something that God's called you to oversee, like a business or a ministry, whatever it might be. And so in the naming process, here's some things that will show you how people were named in the Bible. First of all, when, sometimes when they name a child, it was connected to circumstances surrounding the birth. An example of this would be the name Isaac, right? Abraham had a child named Isaac. His name means laughter. And the reason he was named Laughter or Isaac was because when Sarah didn't think she could have a child because she was too old and the angel showed up, in fact, it was the son of God, shows up and says, you're going to have a baby, she laughed. And so laughter became part of the circumstances of the birthing of this child and the coming of this child. Here's another example in scripture. One is that they would name it to describe the child. An example of this would be Esau and Jacob, right? The twins that were born. Esau was the oldest, and his name means hairy. 
And we know that in the story that was true. Why? Because when Jacob was trying to steal the blessing, he had to put goat hair on his arms and hands because his father was blind. And when his father felt his arm, he said, oh, you're hairy like Esau. So the name would actually describe the child. Here's another example of of meaning in the Bible with naming. And that is that it was a declaration of faith. I love this one. Because in the time of Elijah... The people of God were turning away from God and they were worshiping a false god named Baal. And what happened was, is when the father of Elijah and the mother of Elijah had this child, they named him Elijah, which means Yahweh is my God. So every time they would declare his name, it was a declaration that we're not serving a false god, we're serving the true God, Yahweh. Isn't that cool? But here's the one I want to focus on. Another purpose, there's, there's other cool things about authority and other things, but In the naming process, sometimes they would name them to declare the essence, character, and identity of the named. So let's go to Jesus for a minute. God gave him the name Jesus. Here's what's interesting. The name Jesus was a very common name, believe it or not, in the times of of Christ. And it was a Hebrew, I'm sorry, it was a Jewish pronunciation, shortened version of a Hebrew name, which was Joshua. So Jesus was kind of a shortened version of Joshua, but here's what's cool. Joshua meant Yahweh is our salvation. And when God speaks to Joseph, he says, you're to give him a name. And that name is Jesus, and it was a prophetic declaration that this is who he is. This is what he does. This is a prophetic statement of what is going to happen with his journey in life. And that's what really takes us to the next two verses I want to show you because if we're called to steward what God has given us, let's focus for a minute on parenting. Now, I know some of you don't have kids. Some of you are too young for that. Some, but, but let me just tell you, there's some truth here that we all need to grab a hold of. So I'm going to show you two verses. Y'all with me? Say amen. amen. All right, here's the first one. It's found in Psalms 127 verse 4, which says, Children born to a young man are like, what is it? arrows in the hand of a warrior or a warrior's hand. So children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. There's another verse, and we're going to tie these together. Proverbs 22, verse 6, which says, direct your children onto the right path. Or one translation that many of us are familiar with is, train up your children in the way they should go, right? And when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, I wanted to bring these up because we've been talking about the fact that Christmas means direction down to earth. It brings direction down to earth. In other words, what we've been given, we're to steward that. And part of stewardship is bringing direction. So when we talk about parenting, what what it says is, is that when we have children, it's like an arrow in the hand of a warrior. Now, Every service, when I grab this bow and arrow, people gasp and got nervous. Don't worry, I'm not going to shoot it today. You don't have anything to fear. But here's what's interesting. If you were a warrior, here's what you need to know. In fact, the word direct or train up a child, it's a Hebrew word and it means to dedicate, but it means this. This is the definition I love best. It means to develop with instruction and practice. So what that's saying is, when we have kids, we don't just go, fly, reach your target. But in those days, if you had a bow and you had an arrow, you couldn't go to Dick's Sporting Goods and buy it. 
So you got some wood and you made your bow and you strung it and then you went out into the woods and you found the lightest, straightest stick that you could find. And then you'd begin to whittle it with your knife and make it perfectly round or as round as you could and as straight as you could because you knew that if you're going to shoot this arrow, the chances of it hitting its target was dependent on how you developed it. It wouldn't reach its goal if you hadn't been a part of the development process because it needed to be straight. And if it's not straight, it's not going to fly straight. And then you would find the right feathers and you'd make sure that all the feathers were exactly the same because if one feather was bigger than another, it would fly to the right or it would fly to the left or it would go down or it would go up. And then you'd find the right tip so that when it hit its target, it would penetrate its target and be effective. You see, the Bible says that like, arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children in our hands. The point is, is that when God gives you something, he doesn't just say, I hope it turns out, but he says, I want you to take it, I want you to develop it, I want you to train it, and I want you to place it in a position so that you can aim it and then give it the force to send it where it needs to go. I think too many of us, if we're not careful, with our kids, with our money, with our calling, we kind of go, well, I hope everything turns out. Because here's what we like to say to kids, right? In America especially, you can be anything you want to. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying that, but if we're not careful, what we're doing is we're saying, well, I hope you hit the right target. hope you turn out right. But God's saying, listen, that's not what Christmas is about. That's not what my story is. I've given you what you've been given Because this arrow can't get anywhere if it doesn't have a warrior developing it and directing it. You're never going to get out of debt if you hope you get out of debt. Your kids are never going to reach their potential if you hope everything works out. Because what God is saying is that I've called you to be a part of the process for the thing that I placed in your hands. It kind of reminds me of the story of another naming of a child in the Bible. And it was right around Christmas. There was a guy by the name of Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest in the house of God. He would go in at his duty and his time and he would take care of God's house. While he's in the presence of the Lord, suddenly an angel appears to him and says, hey, guess what, Zechariah? Your wife, Elizabeth, who has been barren and can't have kids, she's going to have a child. And this child is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And you're to name him John. And when, when he says that, Zechariah, he doesn't believe it. He's not full of faith. He's full of doubt. And he says, that could never happen. And so the angel says, because of your doubt, you're not going to talk until the child is born. You're going to be mute. He comes out of this, this experience and he can't talk. And everybody's like, what's going on? And he tries to communicate. And he goes home to his wife and he writes out what's taken place. And next thing you know, she's pregnant. Let me just stop there for a minute, though, before I go in and say, isn't it cool that the wisdom, the promise that came to him didn't come when he was fishing, it came when he was in God's presence. That's why I want to say it's so important. I'm so excited for you that you came to God's house today. So I'm going to tell you, you're going to get what you need if you get in the right place, because when you're in the right place, the right things happen. Come on, somebody say amen. 
That's why prioritizing God's house is so important. Prioritizing time in, in de- devoting devotions and spending time with the Lord are important. And so he does. And so what happens? Finally, she's, she has, delivers the child and they're at the, the circumcision ceremony. This is right there in, at the beginning of Luke. Right before we read this passage we read a moment ago. And as she's there... The, the day has come, they're going to name the child, right? And so all the family and all the friends have shown up to support them for this circumcision ceremony. And when they circumcise a child, it comes time to name him, and everybody goes, oh, okay, well, you should na- you're going to name him Zachariah, right? He's going to be named after his dad. And they look at Elizabeth and said, we're going to name him Zachariah? And she says, no, he'll be called John. They're like, no, we can't name him John. You don't have any Johns in your family. It should be named Zachariah. And they go to Zachariah, and Zachariah says, grabs a pen, his name will be John. And when he does, God opens his mouth. He's able to talk, and he begins to sing a song of praise to God. Now, let me just say, why am I telling that story? Well, because God had given him the name John, and here's what's, what, what can happen. You see, if we're not careful, the thing that God has given us If we're not part of the process, it'll just become what everybody thinks it should be. I'm going to tell you that there's a culture out there, television, social media, the the school systems, friends that are friends of your children. I'm going to tell you there's a lot of things that will create pressure to cause your arrows to end up in a place they think they should go. But aren't you glad that God prepared a way so that Zachariah said, no, he's not going to be Zachariah, he's going to be John. And here's why that's important. Because Zachariah was a priest. And that meant that if he was called Zechariah, that he would follow exactly in the footsteps of his father, which meant that he would be trained in the normal process of being a priest. He would serve in the priestly position. He would be in the temple and in the tabernacle doing what Zechariah had done. But here's the point. God had not called John to be a priest. He'd called him to be out in the wilderness eating locusts and honey and preparing the way. God had had a new path that he wanted to make for that child. And had he left it to culture, had he left it to the influences around him, John would have never been what God wanted him to be. He would have missed the target. But instead, he said, no, I'm giving him a name. I'm sending him on a path. He's going to fulfill God's purpose. And John hit the target. And I want to tell you today, don't leave your financial situation, don't leave your children, don't leave your calling to whatever life brings it. Say, God, I'm going to grab the bow and I'm going to do what you told Joseph. I'm going to bring direction. I'm going to help in the process. You see, God has something for you. He has something for your children. And and I want to tell you that there are things that we can do. Let me give you some things for kids, for example. Here's a great thing you could do to help. Number one, how about you have your children dedicated? It's a great way to start things off. Say, we're going to bring them into the house of God. We're going to dedicate them to God. And say, you're going to follow God's process. Here's another one. How about you pray for them and with them? Start at night when they're little. Now I lay me down to sleep. This is a weird prayer. And I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die... Before I wake. Who came up with that prayer? A two-year-old is thinking about death already. But what I love is that 
You and I have the ability not just to pray for, but to pray with our children. You know, how would life change if instead of our kids we say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or, hey, when, what, what are you going to major in in college? Instead, we said, hey, I know you're getting ready to start college. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? How about you start praying about what God has led you to do? How about I pray with you? And together, we believe that God shows you his path for your life. I'm not going to leave it to chance. But instead, I'm going to grab the bow. I see in you, son, this is the gifts that God has given you. I see in you, son, I see in you, daughter, this is what God has placed upon your life. Here's another one. How about you bring your church, your children to church regularly? That's a good point. Good one, Pastor Jerry. It was all right. You know why? Because the greatest lessons are caught, not taught. Because here's the point. If God's house isn't a priority for you, chances are it won't be a priority in the heart of your children. Because God's called us to direct. Christmas is about direction. How about this? Maybe another thing we can do is, this is a novel thought, correct them. Come on, anybody ever been at a restaurant with another parent, with kids, and you've thought, correct them. Come on, somebody. well, we don't want to do that. The Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. The point here is that God wants us to be a part of shaping, preparing them to hit the target and reach their destination. How about talking with them about the gifts that God has given them and how they connect with the kingdom? I'll never forget my parents growing up. You know, I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad is a pastor. My mom here is a pastor. My mom's dad was a pastor. My dad's dad was a pastor. But you know what? My, my parents never said, you have to be a pastor. They said, you be whatever God puts in your heart to be, but make sure that you follow the will of God no matter what it is. And that whatever you do, you do it unto the Lord. If it's a banker, if it's a teacher, if it's a musician, but it's at Walmart. Understand that what you're doing, you're doing not just for you, but it's connected to the kingdom. You see, the, maybe you're here though today and you're like, well, Pastor Jerry, I, I don't have kids. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, well, you know what? I, I was raised in a family that weren't Christians. And so I, I'm already flying in a direction. I'm already on my path. You know, this sermon doesn't really relate to me. What about me? Because I'm flying kind of in the wrong direction already. I've made some bad decisions in life. You know what, if you're here, maybe you feel like you've been going the wrong direction. Or maybe you're here and you've got kids who have gone off in the wrong direction. Or maybe you're here and in your life calling, maybe with your finances, you're now in debt and you feel like you're off direction. Guess what, there's a great story in the Bible about someone who was named. His name was Jacob. Jacob was the brother of Esau, the hairy guy. And when he was born, he was born right after his brother, he was the second born of twins, and the Bible says that when he was born, he was holding on to the heel of his brother. And they named him Supplanter, Jacob, which means to undermine. So we're like, great name. But you know what's interesting? It's throughout his life in the beginning, he lived up to his name. Because he tried to undermine his brother and take the birthright. He did steal the birthright. 
He undermined and he took the, the blessing away from his older brother. And he began to live out what was said over him. And can I stop and say it's important that you and I begin to speak life over things and over people. Because you're going to tell you, if people are always telling you, you'll never amount to anything. You're a loser. You're rebellious. You always gossip. You have an attitude. The Bible says that out of our mouths we speak life or death. And I want to tell you, you have the ability to speak life and hope and peace and direction over whatever it is that God has called you to take care of and steward. That's good preaching. Somebody say amen. amen. So Jacob was fulfilling that name when suddenly he met God. And in this encounter with God, he wrestled with God. But finally, in this wrestling, he surrendered to God. And as soon as he surrendered, God looked at him and said, you know what, Jacob, you've been on one path, you've been living one way, but I'm changing your name. You're no longer supplanter, you're no longer, you know, the underminer, you're no longer Jacob. Your name now is Israel, which means prince of God, and God changed the path and the direction of his life. And I want to tell you today, no matter what path you're on, no matter how far off from the course that God you thought had for you or your kids or your finances or your calling, if you'll just have an encounter with God... God has a way of turning everything around. He has a way of giving you a new name and a new path and a new journey. Somebody say amen. Maybe here and your name has been depressed. Maybe you're here and your name has been failure. Maybe you're here and your name has been a bad steward. Guess what? You serve a father who can give you a new name. And he can give you peace. He can give you hope. He can give you a new path because Christmas brings direction down to earth. What are you called to direct? Let me give you point number two. Y'all with me? You ready? I want to wrap this up quick. Point number two is this. Christmas brings protection down to earth. Christmas brings protection down to earth. Let's go back to that verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to jump to Luke's version of this story, and we're going to find out a little bit more about the story of Joseph. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. Let me stop. He had taken Mary as, um, as his wife. Now she's pregnant, and uh, it's getting close to her... her being due to, to have the baby. And there's a census that's called by the Roman government. And so he's required by law to go back to Bethlehem. So he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born. Now, I just gave you point number two, which is Christmas brings protection down to earth. As I read this story, the first thing that came to my mind was simply this. Why did Joseph bring Mary with him to Bethlehem? And some of you say, well, no, duh, she's about ready to have a baby. Well, let's think about that for a minute. First of all, in my research, I believe that, that Mary's family lived in Nazareth, and I believe that Joseph's family lived in Bethlehem. And here's what you need to know, is that according to Jewish law, when the Roman government um, did their census. About every five years, they would call a census, and here was the purpose. The purpose was to count everybody 
so that if there were new people that had come into the area, if people were now of age to be taxed, they would have the right number of people and the name of everyone so that now they could tax them on their income or their property or their increase. And the Roman government charged at that time about 70% in taxes. And it wasn't like today. It's not like you got free, you know, education, roads, police, fire. You got nothing. You just paid your 70%. But here's what's interesting. Only the man was required to show up at the census. The wife wasn't. So why now would Joseph take his wife who's about to have a baby, now here's what you need to know, from Nazareth to Bethlehem was about a nine-day journey on foot. Come on, if you're pregnant nine months, you don't even like to drive to Target. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Let alone go nine days, and here's the thing, the closest path from Nazareth to Jerusalem, or uh, to to Bethlehem, was through the nation or the the region of, of Samaria. And the Samaritans hated the Jews. So they were going on a path or a road that was dangerous because the people that they were going through hated them. They could be beaten, they could be robbed, they could be killed. So he's taking them through this dangerous road. Secondly, it was a very tumultuous terrain. Another path that they could take, which would take a lot longer, was smoother. This one, you'd go up mountains, down into ravines. I mean, it was a scary thing. Here's the other thing you need to know is that when people gave birth, a lot of times the women would die, the moms. It wasn't like the technology today. So when you did it, you wanted to be at home where there was hot water and your family was there and, and there was towels and there was everything you needed and there was a moil or a doctor that could come and help you. Imagine what if she started to give birth out in the middle of nowhere with no doctors, no midwives, no help, no water, no resources on a road where you could be killed. Why did Joseph take Mary with her? I would say that's a fair question. Only two of you. The rest of you are like, no, it's not fair. I think he did the right thing. Well, he did do the right thing. But as I, I begin to process this, here's what really hit me. And as you see, I believe that he took Mary with him because of this reason. First of all, the Holy Spirit was nudging him to go to Bethlehem because a prophecy had to be fulfilled. But secondly... In those days, whenever there was a census, it, was, it would always cause rioting because the people who were having to pay the taxes would get upset that Rome was charging them so much money. And what was interesting is, according to some historians, when this particular census was taken, they were raising the rate from 70 to 80% in taxes. So if there was rioting before and now you're paying 10% more, how many know there's rioting in the streets? So what I think was going through Joseph's mind was this. I'm not going to leave Mary and Jesus, God's son, who's under my care. I'm not going to leave them nine days away when they could be in danger. Because the best way I can protect them is with my presence. And the point I want to make is that the Holy Spirit, I believe, was nudging him because simply this point. In order to protect others, you must be with others. Let me just make it real plain. If you're here and you're a parent, the best way to bless and protect your home is to be home. Contrary to popular belief, love is not really spelled L-O-V-E. It's best spelled T-I-M-E. 
I believe what God's saying to us at this Christmas season is that the greatest way that we can provide, protect, direct our children is to be able to be with them. Now, let me bring this full circle for a minute because as you begin to study this story, here's what's interesting. He brings her with him. Now, here's what he was doing. Joseph had to go take care of some financial stuff. And as I began to pray about it, this phrase, this this sentence came to my mind. How many kids are being picked off by the enemy because we're so preoccupied with Bethlehem with all of our financial stuff that we got to do, got to make enough money, got to have, you know, a good Christmas, got to work those extra hours, got to make sure we get the nice car, make sure that we get the boat because I got to give them the experience I never had. And we get so caught up in all our financial stuff and all making our money and, and, you know, having so much that we end up being in Bethlehem and our kids and the things that God has given us are back in Nazareth and the enemy is able to pick them off and able to take them out because we're caught up with the wrong priority. Too many people, too many kids, too many promises are being picked off by the enemy because we're in Bethlehem instead of Nazareth. So what did he do by the prompting of the Holy Spirit? He kept them close. Now let me stop and say there's nothing wrong with having a good job. There's nothing wrong with wanting nice things. There's nothing wrong with working hard. But you see, the Holy Spirit was nudging Joseph and saying, maybe, maybe let's make it practical. Maybe when you feel that nudge, instead of, I'm going to get an extra 10 sales calls in today and stay an extra hour and a half at work, maybe instead you need to listen to that nudge and say, I'm going to leave when I'm supposed to so I can get to my kid's game. Instead of getting home and doing a ton more emails so that I look good for the boss and maybe get a better bonus, maybe instead I need to sit down and watch that Hallmark movie with my family. <laughs> Come on, anybody watch those Hallmark movies? It doesn't matter which one you watch. They're the exact same story, every single one of them. Because here's a truth. Can I give you a truth that's pretty profound? Watch this. Joseph went to Bethlehem. Now, we know that he went to Bethlehem and brought her with him because the Holy Spirit prompted him. Why? So that the prophecy would be fulfilled that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. But the Holy Spirit, he didn't know that. He didn't know he needed to fulfill a prophecy. He was just being led by the Spirit and what he felt in his heart. So he brings her to to Bethlehem. Now watch what happens. Just imagine if he hadn't listened to that little nudge of of God's Spirit. He, He would have left her in Nazareth. She would have had the baby. He would have ended up leaving Bethlehem and going back. And then now watch. The Magi would have showed up in Bethlehem and they wouldn't have been there. Meaning they wouldn't have got the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh that they needed to provide for when they went to Egypt for three years. So let's just make it real. Could it be that what the Spirit is telling us in this story is that instead of you trying to work harder and make an extra buck, that if you'll listen to the Spirit and make what God has given you the priority, that He'll provide for you when you need it. Right. 